On the line with us today, author William Cohen, the author of Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon. We're talking about General Electric, a company that's been around a long, long time. You go right back to Tom Edison and uh, the start of it. You, you paint the whole history. Uh, of course, Jack Welsh is, is a huge figure in the book. And uh, it's, it's fascinating you, you go through what I think has been our contemporary economic history. But let me ask you right off the bat, Bill, and, and obviously this is a huge book with just many interviews. You spent years doing it, uh, gone through all kinds of sources on this thing. How much of the uh, decline and the rise and fall, as you say, was due to, you know, the events that, that hit uh, Jeff Immelt? Um, and how does he pronounce his last name? Is it Immelt? It's Immelt, yes. Immelt. That's the follower of, of Jack Welch, who followed up as GE CEO. I mean, he had, you have the Enron, 9-11, economic decline of, of, of problems of 2008. Um, would that have befallen anybody in that seat? Or what's your thinking now, having gone through all the research? Well, I think... Um... First of all, thank you for having me. Second, uh, you know, the choice of the CEO is really important at any company. Uh, and, you know, obviously, especially so at a company as complicated and global as GE was. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's a great debate sort of underway between whether, uh, you know, Jack uh, Welch, uh, created a company that uh, was unmanageable by anyone, or uh, Jack Welch uh, left uh, his successor a you know royal flush uh, to play. Uh, you know, I think that's what you know. I spent many hours with Jack uh, before he passed away in March of 2020, and that certainly was his viewpoint that he had left Jeff Immelt, his successor, a, a, a royal flush to play. Uh, I also spent a lot of time with Jeff Immelt, uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I think he believes that that was not the case. He spent, uh, he he saw problems in what Jack had left him. Now, Jack left him a company uh, that was the most respected in the world and uh, one of the most, if not the most valuable in the world. At one point, it was uh, worth uh, $650 billion. Uh, you know, it was sort of the Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple kind of all rolled up into one in terms of respect and financial prowess and technical technological innovation. Uh, Jeff Immelt, uh, you know, like many successors want to do, they want to remake the company uh, in a different way and in his image. And of course, with the company is sort of diverse and uh as ge was and basically a conglomerate uh you know so therefore constantly changing and evolving and selling pieces and buying new pieces uh you know jeff could do that it's not like you know they had one business uh you know you know manufacturing you know inner tubes or something you know uh it was an incredibly diverse global business so jeff could remake it if he wanted to and he basically uh, set out doing that uh, pretty quickly. You've got to also remember that uh, Jeff took over uh, the company. Uh, his first day in the office was 
September 10th, 2001. So, yeah. uh, you know, and he was in Seattle that day uh, about to meet with the CEO of Boeing, which obviously was a very big GE customer buying uh, jet engines. Uh, and so, you know, he immediately had to deal with the fact that GE made uh, the engines on the planes that hit the towers. GE had reinsured the buildings down at the World Trade Center. Uh, GE owned uh, NBC at that time, which uh, uh, went for at least a week without any ads, costing GE hundreds of millions of dollars, and two GE employees were killed uh, that day. So, and then, there, and then there was the passage of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act in, in the wake of sort of WorldCom and Enron and all those other things, which made it, you know, more difficult to uh, run a company like GE. So, you know, Jeff uh, didn't like the insurance business which Jack had uh, left him. And so he set out to, you know, get rid of that as soon as he could. I don't think he uh, understood the GE Capital, the financial services business, uh, particularly well. And so, as you pointed out, uh, at the time of the financial crisis in 2008, you know, GE Capital was providing something like 50% of GE's earnings. And uh, that became a huge albatross uh, around Jeff Immelt's neck. I think somebody else who understood finance and the risks in finance better than Jeff Immelt did would have been able to managed through that situation, but uh, Jeff didn't and and couldn't. And we're talking with Bill Cohen, the author of <laughs> Power Failure, about GE's uh, problems uh, over the last uh, several decades. And Bill, you know, one of the things you do in your book, and it's a very extensive history, is the Jack Welsh, of course, uh, most people know that name because he's obviously been been very highly touted CEO of the, of the year, of the century, or whatever, um, certainly got out there publicity-wise and had a you know pretty pretty solid accomplishment. You talked to him, I think, extensively, as you mentioned. He went to a lot of trouble to groom a successor. You, you kind of uh, showcase the, the individuals, all stars within the GE system. Uh, and, he, and he went for Emerald, but then... You know, the, the the feeling is, and maybe you have a sense of this. It might, excuse me, it might have mattered had he picked somebody else. And he, of course, he was close to it, right? I mean, he, there were other choices there that he was really. I think he said at one point three gold medal winners or something like that. That's that you, right. You, yeah, but he only there were three gold medal winners, but he only had one gold medal to give. Right. Out. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he could have. Uh, selected Jim McInerney, uh, who uh, went on to become the CEO of Boeing. Uh, he could have suggested, uh, selected Robert Nardelli, who went on to become the CEO of Home Depot and then Chrysler. He could have selected uh, uh, Dave Cody, uh, who uh, went on to become the CEO of Honeywell uh, and made Honeywell more valuable than GE. So, but he selected Jeff Immelt. Uh, I think Jeff uh, probably was the best politician of the group. Uh, and uh, Jack uh, decided he wanted to leave these executives out in their business uh, units, uh, out in the, in the countryside, uh, whether it was Cincinnati or Schenectady or, you know, Louisville or, or, uh, 
Milwaukee or whatever, um, and he didn't bring them into Fairfield, Connecticut, which was, of course, where G's headquarters was at that time, so he could watch them on a daily basis. So when they when he did see them, which was not that frequently, uh, it turned out he you know it was just sort of like a beauty contest. It was a you know who was the best politician, and I think ultimately um, uh, Jeff Immelt proved to be the best uh, politician, and Jack was sort of. Um, uh, seduced by him and uh, selected him, even though there were some members of the GE board who said that he should have chosen Jim McInerney instead. I mean, obviously, we'll never know now, you know, because he did select Jeff, and that's it. You know, it's not, we can't ever know what would have happened. So, I, I believe that you know, obviously, the selection of the CEO is crucial, uh, and I, and I think somebody who understood finance and the risks in GE Capital better would have made different decisions. And I think, uh, uh, and he would have made different decisions about companies to buy and sell and when and how to do that. And I think uh, GE would probably still be around if he had selected another uh, CEO because there was no reason not for it to be around. I mean, you know, following the 2008 financial crisis, the be the industry that performed among the best uh, was the financial services industry, Wall Street, and GE had one of the biggest players on Wall Street. So it could have, it could have uh, survived that and thrived, uh, you know, had it made, uh, you know, different decisions. But you know, Jeff made the decisions he made, and now you know, kind of are living with the consequences of it, which is the end of GE as we know it, and splitting the company up into three pieces. Talking with Bill Cohen about his book Power Failure on GE. And, you know, in that book, Bill, you've got uh, somebody uh, you talk to, you know, many, many executives there uh, in the course of, of, you know, getting the story on this. And I think one that I recall uh, was a very telling difference between Welsh and Immelt was they said when when you, you know, went to, to Welsh with an idea or proposal, he he would take he would read it. He would he would know all about it. He would ask the questions. He was. Is, you know, you would never leave a, a conversation with him without thinking, wow, this guy is on top of this. Whereas that wasn't the case with Immelt. At least somebody said it, did, it sounded like he didn't read it or, or that he hadn't paid the attention that his or predecessor. Or he already made up his mind and yeah. wasn't willing to be persuaded otherwise. Um, you know, even Jack told me he thought Jeff was the, you know, smartest guy, thought he was the smartest guy in the room. And um, you can't run a business uh like GE uh you know behaving that way um you know uh, you know maybe uh Jack had better interpersonal skills and he uh engendered more loyalty among his uh top executives i mean the ones i spoke to about Jack just revered him revered mm -hmm. him even though he was clearly uh, uh 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 hardly a perfect person and had many flaws and would have probably uh, been canceled in the me too uh wave uh, given his behavior from time to time, right? But Jeff, uh, you know, was a different kind of guy. Everybody's different, and he was less willing to listen to dissenting views. You know, he kept trying to reiterate with me that um, uh, you know he kept the best people around him. But the more I sort of dug into it, the more I realized that that wasn't really true. That he lost a lot of very talented executives who he clashed with, and didn't make space for them. And, you know, that's sort of typically what happens, you know, in corporate culture. You know, if you don't agree with the CEO, you know, you tend to have to leave. I mm -hmm. think Jack was kind of different. He made 
room for those kind of dissenting opinions. And I think that was a big part of his success. Again, he wasn't flawless. He he made mistakes, but he, uh, you know, created tremendous amount of value for GE shareholders, which, you know, is really the job of the CEO. I mean, he, when he took over, GE was worth uh, $12 billion. And when he, uh, you know, right before he left, it was worth more than $650 billion. So I would say he did a pretty good job of creating value for shareholders. Yeah. That, that, and it does come across. I think you paint a good picture of, uh, well, a, a broad picture of Welsh because, yeah, there, you can find this or that and, and you know, say, well, the guy was shot from the hip and, and all this. But as you say, uh, he did his homework, uh, you know, obviously had to be totally into GE. I mean, you know, the, the, as you said, they're, they're a huge company with all these diverse parts. And he seemed to be on top of all of them, at least knowledgeable enough to let someone smart enough to run them do it and that's that you know i guess you don't find those kind of people all the time that's i think a lesson out of your book is yeah it does make a difference on who you pick um because you know, the thing doesn't run itself it's it has to be managed what what's next for you bill i mean because this this must have taken a big you said three years right big chunk of yeah, time here what's, yeah, what's on your books. yeah yeah, my other books took roughly two years each, so this one was, you know, fifty percent more time-consuming and well, you bigger know, company, right? Bigger yeah. company, long history, very public company. Literally, was you know public from the start, and lots have been written about it. So it was a lot to synthesize and digest. And I do everything, you know, myself, Steve. So uh, you know, I don't have any researchers or assistance or anything so it took a it took a lot uh took a lot out of me and it was a long slog uh you know i'm the founder uh, uh one of the founding partners of something called puck which was a new digital uh, you know magazine slash oh, yeah. journalism right. uh so that's taking up my time now and i you know i write for a lot of publications as well the new york times the financial times uh, uh you know other other uh publications uh, uh so uh you know i'm i'm thinking about i've got new ideas uh you know obviously something like uh the the implosion of ftx and sam bankman fried is is fascinating but my friend michael lewis seems to have got that uh story cornered so i'll just have to wait for his book um i'll find something you know well you mentioned puck and and let's mention that because uh again because that's a I think it's the part of the new breed of media that uh, we're we're uh, getting getting sort of uh, you know looking for now. Um, what do you make of this uh, Elon Musk situation? Because I think you've written about that recently. Yeah, uh, it seems to be blowing up, burned. The house is on fire. Uh, people are running out of windows. Uh, it, it looks pretty bad. What's what's your take? Well, you're you're right. I have written a lot about it uh, in Puck. Um, look, he, he had a financial sort of disaster on his hands from the outset because he paid way too much for it, $44 billion. So that made it easy for the board of Twitter to sell. And now right. he's, uh, layering on it by his own doing, uh, an, another self-inflicted wound, an operational disaster. I mean, I don't think you could write a textbook uh, better than uh, Elon has written here about how to make a company implode in, <laughs> in 
three weeks. I mean, it's just stunning. I mean, right from the outset where he says he's going to fire half the workforce to you know demanding that the people who stay, you know, work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I don't know what planet Elon's living on, maybe Mars. Yeah, uh, I think that's his planet, right? Yeah. yeah, but but in the real world down here, uh, you know, you have to actually strike a balance uh, in all of this uh, to like, you know, Jack Welch was able to inspire uh, right. the workforce. Uh, uh, Elon Musk is doing the exact opposite. So it's 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 absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, I haven't noticed any real change on the platform of Twitter. It seems like it always has, although I'm not, you know an expert in the nuances of it. Uh, so I'm not sure when this, you know, when you lose whatever, 60% of the workforce and you alienate 100% of the workforce, I'm not sure exactly how that plays out. But he could, you know, if this thing could go into bankruptcy, you know, as early as April, when he has to make the first interest payments, he could lose control of this company where he just put in $24 billion of his own money. So it's astounding. Absolutely astounding. And I think you're right. The, the time frame is is what's so, you know, incredible here. But I have to tell you, I'm not a big Twitter fan. I used to when I worked on the paper, we used it, and you were kind of ordered to use it because uh, you know get this thing out immediately and blah blah right. blah. But right. uh, I was on there last night just to kind of keeping up with what was happening, and I have to tell you, it was hilarious because uh, the people are so creative, um, yeah. and of course guess what the subject is it's all elon and you know you're screwing up and you're blowing this thing and and but just one after the other and these little things go by and i thought well in a way this is this is the way this thing works where it's i guess periodically entertaining i, I know that's probably not what its own form is but uh, we'll see if it survives that bill we're talking with bill cohen about uh, power failure and and uh What's your position? On, are you the editor of Puck, or what's what's your title? No, I'm just one of the founding partners, and I oh. write. Uh, you know, I write about Wall Street. You know, every week. And it's it's a fascinating. Don't mean to flip it on you here, because uh, no, no problem. We'll stay with the book, but but I, I have noticed it, and and uh, I'm very impressed with it. Uh, the folks you've got on there, yourself and others, uh, just it's a really good group. Of, yeah, uh, and it's good to solid. see that online. Yeah, I mean, it's really, we Knockwood have been, uh, it's about a year and a half old now, have been really uh, lucky and successful. And I, I'm really thrilled with the, the group of people that we've, uh, uh, you know, assembled. And it, it's a nice compliment, frankly, to my, to book, to writing books is to be able to, you know, a couple of times every week, you know, right. put forth a view on what's going on, you know, on a daily basis. Well, you got some, you got some hot subjects there, too. Uh, let me ask you one more thing on on power failure, Bill, and that's and because you you're the guy that that has talked to the parties and done the research. Would would and, I, and this is totally hypothetical. I apologize in advance, but had Jack Welsh stayed on, had he been a little younger or been able to uh, stay in the saddle, would he have handled these things like nine eleven and the the downturn in two thousand eight with do you think he would have had a different approach, been able to come out of that uh, better than than his than his successor did? You know, he'd be, he'd be, he obviously ran GE for twenty years. You know, that is a long time to run a company, and he right. chose Jeff Immelt. You know, 
who was younger than the ones he was competing against because he also wanted Jeff to run it for 20 years. That seemed to be a thing, yeah. for better or for worse. Uh, Jeff only made it 17 years uh, before he was fired. Uh, you know, I I do believe Jack. I, I do. I mean, I guess the real question is, would would GE still be around if Jack Welch somehow were still running it and you know didn't age like the rest of us do? Um, <laughs> you know, I think he would have uh, uh, handled things very differently, and I think uh, GE would still be around. Yes, it might not be as valuable as it was in 1999, but. Uh, it would still be around. He wouldn't be splitting it up into three companies now. That's for sure. Well, Bill, we thank you so much. The book again is Power Failure. Uh, I recommend it because you know the the story is yes, it's about GE, but it's about America and the business world and and CEOs and uh, you know sort of the 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 way we work. You know, and of course it goes through some some pretty. Uh, death-defying history yeah you really get the feeling of wow this we were on the precipice there in 2008 um and and you know people can talk about that all they want but uh somebody had to do it at the time and i think you characterize it very well phil cohen thank you so much thank you steve very much it was a pleasure to be on take care